very good evening to you and welcome to Beyond Belief on Clare FM on this Sunday evening. Stephen Fletcher and myself, Father Jerry Kenny, are here with you in a different location. We're actually recording this program here on the afternoon of Sunday, uh, the 15th of March, uh, from Kilrush. So, Stephen, thank you for uh, allowing us uh, into your little studio here so that we can record it and then uh, give it to Claire FM for broadcast later. Well, I just hope it all works, Jerry. But uh, yes, it's a pleasure. You're most welcome. And we've got the biscuits, we've got the coffee. And we're ready. The sun is shining, and right. so we're ready. And most important of all, we're obeying the instructions. We're keeping a meter apart, and uh, we're not using the studio for uh, part of the the reasons uh, that has us all, I suppose, uh, living in a different world, uh, especially in the past week. Uh, now that the coronavirus is among us, and uh, we have to take whatever precautions are needed. That's right, and it for me personally, it suddenly sort of caught up with me in the last week you know because previously I'd just been thinking oh yeah you know it's it's uh, it's uh, I don't go away you know but suddenly it's really quite hit me quite hard because like many of us I suppose probably not you but I'm in that age category that they're warning about and uh, you know pre-existing uh, medical conditions and things like that thank god I'm I'm reasonably fit and well but you know there are other issues and you think well hang on perhaps you know it, we shouldn't be too casual about it and uh, and so obviously the Diocese of Killaloo has uh, stopped all services. We've certainly done it in uh, our three parishes in West Clare. We've stopped services. And I know uh, Father Brendan Quinlivan did a Mass for Clare FM this morning, which was broadcast. Um, our rector, Kevin O'Brien, has uh, posted a video of a service that he's done, especially for today and reflecting on the Gospel. And so... You know, we're, we're trying to find ways of getting around this issue where we don't actually meet each other and, and uh, possibly uh, infect each other. That's correct. And that's, that's the priority, I think. Uh, there on uh, early on Friday morning, um, the, our bishop, Bishop uh, Finton, uh, issued a pastoral uh, letter and uh, recommended uh, that all our churches remain open, but that we don't have public services in them. And there will be some restrictions in relation to the uh, gathering of people, because I think that's really what's behind all of these instructions is that we're asked to be very cautious about gathering, especially in groups, and about the risk of the transmission of the infection. And we really are leaving it up to the health professionals and we're very conscious of the task that they have at the moment. All our doctors, nurses, uh, those in any form of medical care. I'm particularly conscious where I am too of the number of home helps that travel into our elderly in that. And, you know, um, the care of our elderly becomes a very great priority in, in, in this particular uh, um, scene and I suppose all we can do is follow the guidance and the guidelines of those health professionals and help in some way uh, to calm the spread of this particular virus. I, I think also it, it sort of is a lesson to us all to be looking out for these vulnerable neighbours of ours you know that you might not have seen and to, to just give them a call, perhaps not go and embrace them and uh, but just to give them a knock and see if they're all right and perhaps go and get uh, some uh, messages and things like that that they need, you know. It's just something that I think 
it'll perhaps build the community in that way in, in that we all do help each other it is it's i think you know it, it, it's doing a lot of things like that and it thinks it's it's asking people maybe to do something that we're trying to promote always is that to live a reflective life and this is causing everybody to reflect in some way and um you know i suppose let's let's avail of this opportunity and to do that reflection about how we care for ourselves and care for one another uh, especially in, in in these uh times um it's very interesting i was uh, the the other day i mean friday i'd say was one of the busiest days i had this week even though everything was being cancelled but it meant i had to travel around to the churches to make sure that notices were up we had to, had to contact people to say that there wasn't wouldn't be mass so there wouldn't be services and things like that and uh, but we're still as 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 priests we're still continuing to say our daily mass like i've said mass this morning in key church when it was empty and uh, i offered mass for all the particular intentions and anniversaries that were to be celebrated in both Kilkee um, and uh, Dunbeg parishes this weekend and remembered those intentions and priests will continue to do the praying and the celebrating of masses but not in public so uh, it's important for people to know that and one of the, the key things I think that our bishop uh, was saying is like that uh, one of the first things we can do as, as Christians at this time is to pray uh, that we bring our needs and this particular uh, change on our circumstances before God and ask his spirit in some way to guide us and that we pray especially for all those who are captured at the front line in providing the necessary services and that um, you know o- over time as you said Father Brendan Claire uh, FM great, great facility this morning to allow uh, Mass to be celebrated and broadcast and I think there was a very good reaction to that people who are housebound and those, you know, at least that there's some spiritual consolation uh, being able to uh, be offered. The webcams in some of our parishes are there as well. And as you said, uh, your own rector, Kevin, is, is uh, had, has his service on, on Facebook. So we'll, we'll, we'll cope with this in some way. And the important thing is, in this reflective time, I think, is that we begin to uh, use that time, uh, not just to entertain ourselves, but also maybe to deepen a little bit of our reflection. Uh, about life and all the, the things that we've been putting off perhaps you know that the perhaps we haven't we we try and say we're going to read the bible every day well now's the opportunity you're not going to be going out and about perhaps so just sit there and reflect perhaps looking at some some uh, you know some proper reading right. rather than uh, flippant and watch netflix or something let's let's try it one, one, one of the tasks i was setting myself over our lent was actually to, to just take one of the especially one of the old testament books yeah. uh, and the smaller ones and to avail of that at the time like maybe do a little bit of research into it into its background so that i would be better able to understand it and things like that no i have it hasn't happened every day but i'm trying it but i one of the, the other things i'm doing is actually and you know when you mentioned about reading and reflecting um, maybe it's it's time to to do some sort of uh, challenging re- reflection as well, you know, on life. And there's a very good book I, that I'm going through at the moment by um, a spiritual writer called called Ron Walheiser. 
and the book title of the book is one of his latest books is called Wrestling with God. Uh, it's very good. Uh, it's available on internet on Amazon Books or whatever and things like that. And what's um, he's he's a, he's a spiritual writer. He often has a column in in one of our papers in the in the Irish Catholic. He also has a website where he puts weekly reflections on. But this book, Wrestling with God, is very good. It's written in a very modern context about the very deep question about how we understand the relationship between God and ourselves in the modern world. Um, so even if you weren't a person that's tuned into spirituality, I'd recommend this as a, a sort of a, an entry to just to begin to help reflection. And, and the great thing about this particular book is that he also has a study guide with it at the, at the, uh, at the end. So as you're reading each section, you can he asks you some challenging questions that you can go off and, and, and think about as well. I think it's well worth trying to plan something because this is going to take some time, Jerry. You know, it's not going to be over in two or three weeks. It's quite clear from all the experts and the projections that, you know, this could be going on for a month or two or more. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And we, uh, we'll be guided by the, the heroic efforts of, of all those who are uh, involved in, in public health guidance uh, to, to do the right thing. Um, and I think what's a very important at this stage is listening to the radio commentary and the papers and that at the moment is is that well you know that we the, the danger is that that people are in very early stage some of them are very frightened mm-hmm. I mean I was I, in in school the other day and even some of the children in sixth class that they, they one of them, you know articulated and said you know I'm very frightened yeah and you know so it's not just the elderly it's it's across the board, across the demographic, Absolutely. that people are, are quite frightened. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and the whole thing we're hearing about panic buying and stuff like that. Um, but I suppose th- that may be the initial reaction. Uh, so we're asking God maybe to, just to help us to understand and to calm and to uh, appreciate that no matter what is happening, his presence is with us. Um, and and we, have, I think it, we have yeah. that assur- reassurance. That's what we need, isn't it? Reassurance. That's really. what our faith is about. It's telling us. And when you read all the stories of the Bible, I mean, they went through plagues, hardships, everything. And the, the key thing was that in some way God was involved in this and guiding and saving his people and that's the message of hope that we carry and coming up to St. Patrick's Day St. Patrick's Day is going to be very unusual this year because nothing is happening and no celebrations of any sort going going on but I think it's important that we honour St. Patrick and one of the key things of St. Patrick in his writings uh, is that great prayer the breastplate Christ be beside me Christ be before me and you know it's, it's it's a really lovely prayer you know uh, to have and uh, it's reminding us that I mean and that was Patrick's spirituality that you know Christ was with him at every moment and you know he's with us now too and it's tuning in to that part of us that deepens that awareness that God is with us. Um, so we're going to have a little reflection on uh, St. Patrick that's given to us uh, by Edmund Grace, who's a Jesuit, uh, about St. Patrick. But I think it might be appropriate at this stage maybe to introduce that by um, maybe playing one of the hymns that we associate with St. Patrick very much. Docus Lingne Parik. A lot of us would have learned it in primary school uh, and that way. So we'll use that 
let us uh, our little uh, entry into our little reflection on St. Patrick for the day that's coming up. see him portrayed as a man who bridged two very different worlds and that's really what a story is all about and that's why I think it's a story that continues to be attractive although it's become cliched that's a, a, I think a real problem now we wheel him out in Patty's day this kind of emerald Santa Claus figure and then we forget about him and we say ah oh, Patrick's great um, but his story is a very uh, human one because he really is on the edge um, and he talks uh, about his own personal life in a manner which for that time over one and a half thousand years ago was quite extraordinary and I think he did so because he found himself caught you know in on this between these two worlds of the Roman world the Roman civilization and this pre-Christian Celtic world and with the world he came from what was that world he was a minor noble in the Roman Empire his family were the minor nobility at on the edge of the empire. I'm sure they must have had a very keen sense of their own importance and centrality in the world, even though they were on the edge of things. But in the little part of the world they were in, they would have been kingpin. But you see, people today might think of Roman as Rome, but in fact it wasn't. The best way to think of it is Rome was like America um, in those days. So everything was kind of um, influenced by Roman culture, just as today everything that we're caught up with is influenced by American culture and using most of those similar categories. 
Yeah, then he was um, kidnapped, in effect, uh, by pirates, um, a sign of what, things that were happening, things that were falling apart, and suddenly ends up on this mountainside tending sheep, um, and nobody, nowhere. That's basically how he would have seen himself at you know, the age of 16, you know, um, and uh, for the next six years, that's what he did. Well, what strikes me in reading your little pamphlet about him is he was actually a person of great faith. You know, that he believed he was called back. Well, when he arrived, he had nothing. And I think, you know, the faith was all he had to hold on to. Um, he wasn't, certainly he wasn't a devout teenager. He was kind of, I think in contemporary terms, very typical. Yeah. Um, you know, when he was growing up and regrets not having listened to the priest and so on. It's nice, like, for me to, as a priest to hear that sort of talk. But um, anyway, um, he, you know, that's, he, he didn't um, pay any real attention to stuff he heard in church or anything like that, from his father and grandfather, too, yeah. mind you. Um, so, um, yeah, then, um, you know, then. At that time, uh, something very, very deep took root. There's mm. no question about that. And that's what sustained him for the rest of his life and what brought him back to Ireland, which is something we underestimate. The extraordinary act of forgiveness to do that, to get away from this country, you know, for, which was hell for him, you know. Mm. Um, and then to go back um, is, is you know, really astonishing. And people just take it for granted. But well, that's what Patrick did, didn't he? He had his dream and he went back, you know, they all called him back and he said, oh, yeah, sure. But these were people who gave him hell. So, would you see him also as maybe a symbol for migrants today coming to this country? You know, the struggle that they have as well today. Well, uh, it's interesting you should say that because my first awakening to the significance of Patrick was watching a black American woman at prayer in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan in New York. Um, I'm wondering what on earth was she praying to St. Patrick for? And then thinking about his story and her story um, being taken away from your, the country of origin, at least her people, black Americans, um, being enslaved, getting f free of slavery, but still living among people who aren't particularly kind of friendly to them. Mm. Um, and I began to realize that, um, you know, the whole thing of people moving um, to other countries and trying to get themselves established and very often being exploited mm. Um, as we see plenty of stories of exploitation of, of immigrants and so on. So I think it's a very uh, salutary story, which I think deserves a greater audience than the Irish, or a wider audience than the Irish. I think, it's, you know, in today's world, it, it, he's a, quite a remarkable figure, and uh, I think he deserves a better, you know, a wider press, and to be de-clichéd, really. Yes. So, in fact, do you think we should think about him more than just the 17th of March? Well, yes, I'd, I'd love to know, find some way of getting people to think about him as almost independent of the story of Ireland, not just, um, you know, an, an Irish totem, but um, I think a world figure. He deserves to be a world figure. Uh, and maybe there are others who have this sort of straddling of cultures, but there aren't too many um, in such a powerful way. I mean, lots of missionaries have gone to other countries, but to go to another country, escape, and then go back, um, you know, that's quite uh, remarkable. So how would you think that we could regard St. Patrick today? I think people could think of praying to him. Actually, do people actually pray to St. Patrick? And particularly in the context of a world in which there is so much cultural, intercultural conflict and tension and misunderstanding. I think he is a saint to whom this can speak and who can speak to this. So I think, I think we ought to be praying to him in that way, in the context of world peace and reconciliation.
We continue our reflection on the Beatitudes. This week, the Reverend Kevin O'Brien, the rector of St. Columbus Church in Ennis, looks at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think one of the important things when you look at any piece of the Bible is you've got to look at it in context. And so, first of all, I start from the position that the Gospel of Matthew is written possibly around AD 80. So that's 45, maybe 50 years after Jesus had died. It's not written in the language he spoke. He spoke Aramaic and would have most likely spoken Aramaic in all his teaching and preaching. And it may also not necessarily be a literal transcription of a particular sermon. It may well be sayings that the faith tradition has handed down over many, many years and has put them together in one particular sermon because they all sounded quite similar. But nevertheless, here we are. And we're also engaging most of us with the language in English. But actually, meek is not necessarily the right word to be using. The original Greek word for this particular saying was praos, which really has almost military meanings of controlling a horse with, with bit and bridle and reins. So certainly when it, when it refers to animals, it means control. But actually, if we were to use it in this context and about human beings, it has connotations much more of self-control and rather than constraint, restraint. So perhaps blessed are those who control themselves, those who exercise restraint, those who can master themselves. That might be a, a better translation, first of all, of this saying. I think if you look at um, the following section, we've got the Beatitudes, but then the rest of Matthew 5 is really Jesus explaining what he means in these various sayings. And in the context of, you've heard it said in ancient times, you shall not murder, but I say unto you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, and you've heard before you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. So actually this is framed very much in the context of nonviolence. In fact, you could say that Jesus' entire ministry centers around this theme of nonviolent as a way of being fully human, but also nonviolent as a way that God is. The Old Testament and indeed the prevalent ethos of the time ruled by the Romans was perhaps called the Pax Romana, uh, which basically means the peace of Rome, and that comes from Caesar Augustus, Emperor Augustus, who won the battle against Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium, and then they erected a temple which said, this is how you secure peace, and it said, this is the peace of Rome, is based on these four pillars, uh, and they were piety, in other words, set yourself up with God, pray the right prayers, make sure your God's on your side, war, victory, peace. So you pray hard, you, you assure yourself that God is on your side, you fight wars, you secure victory, and that's how you get peace. And then the phrases used about Augustus was that he was God, and phrases were God of God, light of light, God from God. And then you find that the early Christians use exactly those same phrases about Jesus. And I think one of the arguments uh, would be that what they were doing is holding up a mirror image to this whole violent way of running the world and running human society and saying, here we are, Caesar Augustus encapsulates the Roman idea of oppression, of violence, of force of arms um, to create 
order. And instead, we have a Christ, we have a God who is nonviolent, who says that forgiveness, compassion, and understanding and loving your enemy, those are the ways in which you build what we call the kingdom of God. The very great irony of the so-called Pax Romana, or Peace of Rome, is that Augustus ruled for around 40 years and in all that time the Roman Empire was not actively engaged in the field of conflict for two days. So it's not about weakness. It's not about yes sir, no sir, three bags full, I'll do whatever you tell me. It's much more about an internal strength that is self-possessed enough not to retaliate, not to seek violence. And in fact, this sort of myth that violence works is something that we still frankly believe. We, we still don't believe Jesus on this. I know as Christians we constantly profess that we are a peaceful people and we preach a gospel of love. And yet I read an article the other day and I think was quite true, saying that in many ways Americans value the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, more than they do the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, if you look at the language in our own societies, the war on drugs, the war on poverty, we use violent language in business, in politics. Our cinema and TV are filled with images of violence where even the good guy gets the bad guy usually violently towards the end in some kind of crescendo of violence at the end of the movie. And so we believe, I mean, I would call it the myth of redemptive violence, that somehow violence achieves good ends and I think one of the things we really have to think about very hard as we're preparing for Easter uh, is not to engage in that sort of thinking when we come to look at the cross certain ways of looking at the cross can sometimes almost presuppose God who willed violence who colluded with the Romans and with the temple authorities and thought that the cross was a solution I would say that's a complete misreading of the Christian tradition and indeed is denying Jesus to his face. Jesus' death was not willed by God. It was not necessary in that sense, but it was inevitable, I guess, when truth speaks to power. And so the story of Easter is not of a God who requires blood sacrifice in order to assuage his anger but of someone who is willing to sacrifice himself, someone who is willing to live the gospel that he preaches to the very limits of what may be demanded of him. He's prepared to die for what he professes. Frankly, if he hadn't been so willing, we wouldn't have remembered him. So as we're journeying towards the cross, and we're journeying towards Easter, through Holy Week, we look at acts of violence. We look at how, in many ways, meaningless such solutions are, how they lead to nothing, how each war sows the seeds of the next. And actually, Jesus' victory on the cross, his example on the cross, is a moral victory. It's one of saying that I deny absolutely the rule of violence to its very face and beyond that I have no part in it, that I don't believe God has any part in it, or the future of mankind has any part in violence if we are to truly build the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom, the future of humanity, is rooted in nonviolence and a denial that violence is the defining characteristic of humanity. That's the victory 
of the cross. It's not God sacrificing his son. Uh, it's his son sacrificing himself so that we can redeem ourselves from this conviction, this appetite and almost addiction we have towards violence. He has put that away and has shown that example for all time. Others have since followed, either in our own tradition, Martin Luther King, and in other traditions, people like Gandhi. And they are memorable because of their nonviolence. So let's round off with this word meek once more. Not weakness, victimhood, or even being particularly mild, but an inner strength, an inner resolve to control the instincts and drives that can demean our humanity, and instead to inherit the earth by exploring higher, more Christ-like ways of being human. I wish everyone a Lenten journey filled with meaning and new beginnings as we travel to and through the cross.
was Catherine Jenkins, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. And before that, we heard Meek, a reflection on one of the Beatitudes by the Reverend Kevin O'Brien, the rector of St. Columba's Church in Ennis. Well, this Sunday, we're celebrating the third Sunday in our journey through the season of Lent. And the Gospel on this Sunday is uh, the passage from St. John's Gospel and that marvellous encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Well, a recent book called Well of Living Water, Jesus and the Samaritan Woman, it was published by Messenger Publications. It's written by Magdalene Lawler, who's a Notre Dame sister living in London. And in this book, Magdalene uses an inspirational icon of the Samaritan woman at the well to help the reader reflect on the significance and the meaning of this gospel encounter in their own lives. Well, Messenger Publications commissioned a photographer in England to go and photograph the icon, get a very high digital resolution image. So it's enabled Messenger to blow up a detail which can't be seen easily with the naked eye because of certain age damage to the icon. So uh, there are some beautiful images and details. The woman, for example, is unveiled. The gestures between the hands are very noticeable. It's very unusual for an icon to be so mobile and there's a mobility in the hands. One could almost see two Italians talking together. Tremendous mobility and communication between them. The surface of the water from our well And then you offer everything Transforming all we share into a fountain brimming over with power to release a dawning of believing filled with courage filled with peace now we're joined by father tom mcginnis tom is a jesuit and you and he have done many retreats together and Tom is also well known for the songs that he has written based on scripture and on particular religious topics. Tom wrote I think a very beautiful song based on the woman at the well especially for this. Tell me about it and the inspiration for it. Well the inspiration came from times when we've been using the icon with different groups and the way that Magdalene and myself have worked over many years using art and music and that is that, that the, the art side of it and all the kind of reflection she's just been making has been her contribution. And I've tried to echo that, but in music and song of different types. So the inspiration for writing this particular song came also from Nicholas King, actually, because he has a lovely way of translating from the Greek 
in the present tense, which is just beautiful because it gives a sense of you're really part of the story. And it's very faithful to the original translation. Yes, very, very much. And it was something of that immediacy which struck me very much. Um, and of course, the vulnerability of Jesus too, uh, that he comes in that translation and sits just like that at the well. And you, you, you have a real sense of just how human, how vulnerable, how much like one of us Jesus really is. Like you say, he's tired, he came weary and tired yeah, and yeah. hot and thirsty. So that's the whole sort of entry into the song was he's there with us and in the song it doesn't speak about the woman so much but as whoever it is who is listening or singing the song. Uh, what I might do is just read a little from the sure. introduction that I put as an appendix to Magdalene's book. I wrote, it was the experience of encountering Jesus as so human, so vulnerable like ourselves that made him someone to, to whom I felt I could say anything. He asks only that we risk sharing with him some of our deepest hopes and fears, trusting that they are completely understood. And I think gradually it was that level of trust that's built up within the story in John's Gospel, that dialogue, so that by the end of it, they know each other very well. And I think a lovely thing that comes across from your song is what you say. It leaves us, the listener, able to move into the position of the woman because you are focusing on Jesus, but we know that there's another person yes. there. And so that the last verse of the song is not him on his journey, but us turning on our journey. We are here just as we are. No pretense, no falsehood just a quiet sense of awe and longing now to share with all that we have truly been well met, well blessed, well gifted in love's overflowing stream. I love the play on well there as well. It's beautiful, yeah. And be truthful. I was really proud of that bit. <laughs> <laughs> you should be proud of the whole song. I think anybody listening to it will find that. And one word also, just to conclude with you, Tom, is the word turning. Well, turning, it has a kind of metanoia reference to it. It's a kind of internal turning towards the good, turning towards hope, turning towards becoming everything that we can be, all of that. I know this icon well, being a Jesuit from the uh, United Kingdom. And it, 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 so I know it in itself live as something very precious and one because we've used it in retreats this sort of not just grows on you but it comes part of you but i have to say when i saw the quality of the images that the messenger publication was able to do it was like a revelation i thought it was so beautiful it's you know you when you have something that you already know well and then you see it again, almost as if for the first time. It was a lovely moment, that. So, so they've done a great service to the icon, to those who care for it. And I hope to everyone who will share something of the beauty of it, 
that we try to honour Magdalene in all her reflections through the little book and my appendix, but um, sincerely one that I hope will help in the understanding of it all. Final word from you, Magdalene, about the whole process over the years of meditating on this gospel passage and of writing this book just as the author would have written the icon. Do you feel that sense of continuity and that sense of depth that Tom also talks about? Well, I'm very elderly now, definitely. So I know that my time is limited in this life. I wanted lots of people to know both the gospel passage intimately as I've learned um, come to know it and also to enjoy um, and pray with the icon because it's got tremendous lyrical beauty in itself but it's also a wonderful entry into the gospel passage as well. Oh, just a postscript, we used the images and introduced the book a bit just yesterday with um, a group and one very nice comment that came from one of them was that, as Magdalene mentioned, the icon's a little damaged because of age. But he said, actually, that meant a lot to him because somehow in the bits that aren't perfect, uh, God is around. Well met, well blessed, well gifted in lust John Rutter with the Gaelic Blessing. 
Well, we began our program this evening by reflecting on the present crisis that is with us as we battle the COVID-19 virus and uh, asking people, I suppose, maybe to use this time uh, and to help them uh, to do a little bit more reflection on life itself. Well, uh, we hope that our program this evening has uh, helped in some way to contribute to that. And we're going to end this evening by a little prayer asking God to protect us and to sustain us in all of this time. Uh, This is a prayer written by Kerry Weber of America Magazine, and it's called A Prayer Amid an Epidemic. Jesus Christ, you travelled through towns and villages, curing every disease and illness. At your command, the sick were made well. Come to our aid now, in the midst of the global spread of the coronavirus, that we may experience your healing love. Heal those who are sick with the virus. May they regain their strength and health through quality medical care. Heal us from our fear, which prevents nations from working together and neighbours from helping one another. Heal us from our pride, which can make us claim invulnerability to a disease that knows no borders. Jesus Christ, healer of all, stay by our side in this time of uncertainty and sorrow. Be with those who have died from the virus. May they rest with you in your eternal peace. Be with the families of those who are sick or have died. As they worry and grieve, defend them from illness and despair. May they know your peace. Be with the doctors, nurses, researchers and all the medical professionals who seek to heal and help those affected and who put themselves at risk in the process. May they know your protection and peace. Be with the leaders of all nations. Give them the foresight to act with charity and true concern for the well-being of the people they are meant to serve. Give them the wisdom to invest in long-term solutions that will help prepare for or prevent future outbreaks. May they know your peace as they work together to achieve it on earth. Whether we are at home or abroad, surrounded by many people suffering from this illness or only a few, Jesus Christ, stay with us as we endure and mourn, persist and prepare. In place of our anxiety, give us your peace. Jesus Christ, heal us.
Well, that brings us to the end of this uh, special program of Beyond Belief. Uh, different from usual because we're not with you in the studios of Francis Street and Ennis of Clare FM. Uh, we're back here in Kilrush in Hector Street uh, with Stephen in his facility here. Thank you very much, uh, Stephen, for the opportunity to be able to record and broadcast from here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jerry. And we leave you with God's blessing on this night. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face, the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. is produced by the Beyond Belief team. Join us on Sunday at a quarter to eight for Sunday prayer and at 9pm for Beyond Belief. We're